Thank you, Kristen. Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 8. If you have a prayer slip or a visitor slip, we'd love to have them. If you'd pass them to the aisle, we'll collect them and pray for those needs. For those visiting with us, we're so glad that you were here. Romans 8, verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And as we look to the, this great promise and statement, let's put it in context. Ray Ortland once wrote, Your true identity is who God says you are. You will never discover who you are by looking inside yourself or listening to what others say. Certainly that has an impact, and maybe you might be saying, well, that's easier said than done, especially since we're bombarded by, from many uh, directions, what others think about us, whether it's a performance review at work, or an exam that we take in school, or what others think about us in our social interactions. This week was a, a big week on Capitol Hill, at a congressional hearing where the CEOs of big tech were brought into the Senate Judiciary Committee. Parents and families gave testimonies, heart-rending uh, testimony of uh, the devastating Im impact of social media on their teenagers. Uh, some mourning the loss of their children. Uh, others, the toll and the pressure that it's taken as their children have interacted in social media and the full fury of that dangerous environment. What was revealing in this, uh, in this hearing was how social media platforms, big tech platforms, facilitate the threats through algorithms and lax policies. It was actually kind of fun to watch them on the grill, to be held accountable for the profits made on the backs and the lives of others. In addition to the obvious effects of social media, sedentary behavior, a.k.a. couch potatoes, less sleep, dangerous addiction to the social media, added to that would be cyberbullying, the verbal or social bullying through instant messaging and social media. Over 50% of teens uh, experience cyberbullying of one form or another. Inappropriate content, content uh, violence and hate speech and dangerous advice and challenges. Then the ever-present uh, uh, danger of, of predators and easy access into pornography. It is hard to overstate the dangers of this cultural and global movement. Entire generations being told who they are by social media status. Certainly a wake-up call for parents to be involved in providing oversight and accountability on where their teenagers go in social media. It's not a neutral environment. And many are receiving their identity by how many likes they get or comments they get or affirmations they get or the opposite. And so, you know, as we think about our identity, where do we find it? I pray that it would be in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, the gospel we preach is one where we should find our identity in Him who came from heaven to earth and died on the cross and rose again from the dead that we might have eternal life in Him. 
So the good news of Jesus Christ is our redemption and our hope that is eternal. And so I hold up Romans 8, which is the greatest statement of the gospel, I think, in print. The good news of Jesus Christ to sinners, to those weighed down by the burden of their sin, they can find hope and refuge in Christ. And that is the purpose of our gathering. We have come in and made our, uh, made our place here in this assembly because of what Christ has done for us. And we proclaim His mercy even now. In this monumental letter, the Apostle Paul says, in effect, don't find your identity by looking inwardly. Don't find your identity by looking at what others say about you. Don't find your identity by what others speak of. Find your identity in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Who, who He says you are is the opinion that you should seek most. Because ultimately, that's what will matter. Do you realize that you have one life? It will soon be passed, and you will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ to give an account of your life. And on that day, whose opinion matters most? His. And I pray that you would find your refuge in Christ. Well, that, you know, I won't have as many friends. You really want to call them friends? Who badger you? Who belittle you? Who make you strive for their approval? When you have such a wonderful Savior who's gentle and lowly, who invites you to come to Him and to know His rest? So we come back to Romans 8. We started Romans in January of 2021. We've preached 25 message for, messages from Romans 8 alone. Nothing uh, meritorious about that other than wanting to be faithful to what this scripture says. And of all things, some books require, I think, a, a, um, a slower pace. And we're giving that to Romans because we need to. And uh, so as we look at Romans 8, let me give you a tour of Romans 8 in five minutes. Some of you were worried I was going to re-preach it all. No, I won't. I, it'll be a five-minute survey, two and a half months off. We're coming back now, and we'll be here for a while. So in verse 1, he says, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He'll never condemn me. To be in Christ means the condemnation and weight of judgment have been lifted from my life, and I've been set free from the bondage of sin and death, verse 2. That Christ has accomplished what the law could not do. What I could not do through law-keeping, Christ accomplished through His sinless life and death on the cross, so that when I believe in Him, the righteousness of God is imputed to me. And not only that, God hasn't left me to myself in this world. He has given to me the Holy Spirit of God, verses 5 through 17. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. In fact, if I don't have the Spirit of God dwelling in me, I don't belong to Jesus Christ, verse 9 tells me. So we have the Spirit dwelling within us to give us power to overcome sin. Anybody been desperate over, how long am I going to do this? How long am I going to keep saying those kind of things? Is there any hope for me to overcome this, Lord, that I might honor you? And the answer is yes. The Spirit of God who dwells within you will give you power to overcome sin. We're called to be led by the Spirit, verse 14. We're adopted as sons by the Spirit, verse 15. We have the assurance of the Holy Spirit, verse 16, that, that our Spirit bears witness with, that the Spirit of God bears witness with our Spirit that we belong to Him. 
We're fellow heirs with Christ, verse 17. His destiny is our destiny. His hope is our hope. He's gone to prepare a place for us that where he is, there we may be also. We have a future hope, a future glory. This creation is groaning, but there is a redemption day coming, a resurrection hope, uh, the resurrection of our bodies um, that will no longer be susceptible to the futility of this creation because of sin Again, back to the Holy Spirit, verse 26 and 27. The Holy Spirit who lives within us intercedes for us and prays for us that we might know the will of God. We looked at the golden chain of salvation, gave a month to verses 28 through 30, that God's redemption was in his heart from the foundation of the world, whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. And whom he predestined, he also justified, or called. Whom he called, he also justified. Whom he justified, he also glorified. So certain are the promises of God for us believer, that by believing in Christ, God views our glorification as already occurring, even though it's a future event. And then he asks four powerful questions, verses 31 through 34. I'll get to those in a minute. If God's for us, who can be against us would be the first one. And then finally, what can separate us from him? Even the most wretched things in this world cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 8 in five minutes or less. So in this last section where I want to focus today, verses 31 through 39 with a specific look at verse 37, John Murray said in his classic commentary, the notes of victory and assurance in this text now reach their highest pitch. So what are these questions, these four powerful questions, four or five of them? If God is for us, verse 31, what's the answer? Yeah, there we go. That's right, John. Who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? There. Thank you, Chuck. No more, please. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's great to have the feedback that affirms I'm not talking to people who aren't paying attention. Verse 32, how will he not give us all things? And we call that the solid logic of heaven where it says um, that in verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who's, who, is, who is to condemn us, verse 34? No one. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? And then he goes into the nitty-gritty, into things that we don't like, that are painful in this world. And he names them in order to rule out in your mind that, well, that would pos possibly separate me from Christ. He mentions in verse 35, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, the sword. As it is written, verse 36, for your sake, and here he quotes Psalm 44, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That doesn't sound victorious. That doesn't sound like the winner's circle. And then he says in verse 37, No, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm wanting to attempt something radical this morning. And that is for God's word to come into our mind and readjust 
what it means to be a winner, to be a conqueror. Our victory in Christ is described as exceptional. Paul uses a compound word here with um, the term conquerors, more than conquerors. Huper nikeo, men, a present active verb. Huper means over and above, more than. We get the word super from it. A super conqueror. Nikeo is the verb that means to overcome. We've heard the term Nike. We would make a good shoe brand for athletic footwear. It means to overcome. It means to be victorious. All believers are super conquerors, more than conquerors in Christ. That doesn't seem to make sense against the backdrop of a world system that seems to be winning. How can those who are despised and harassed and persecuted and exposed to famine and nakedness, danger and the sword be super overcomers? This world looks at the church and says, you people are weird. Paul referenced the apostles, we're viewed as the scum of the earth, he says to the Corinthians. We're scum. That stuff you scrape off the bottom of the boat, that's us as the world views us. Few look into the church and say, wow, they're really, they're really the movers and shakers. Paul said as much to the Corinthians. Consider your calling, he said to them. Not many wise, not many humble, noble, not many uh, of, of the influential. But you're, you're called in Christ. And that's something the world could never appreciate. So think with me for a few minutes about Real, real terms here, real-life real events. I, I'm so grateful for Voice of the Martyrs and ministries like that that really bring to our attention the persecuted church around the world. There was a man I read of recently who lived in Cambodia named Haim, H-A-I-M-E. And in 1975, when so-called liberation came to Cambodia... And Haim knew that his days were numbered because the liberation came from the Khmer Rouge. Haim and his family were all arrested and tied up and marched off to what would be known in Cambodia as the killing fields. They spent the night in prayer and the next day the entire family was untied but for the purpose of digging their own grave. At one point, one of Haim's teenagers a son, in panic, ran off, and a soldier was about to kill him. And Haim pled not to kill him and begged his son to come back and die with his family. What was the crime Haim and his family were guilty of? They were followers of Jesus Christ. They loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And after they had dug their graves, Haim asked for a time of prayer. And after he prayed, he looked up to the teenage Khmer Rouge soldiers and urged them to repent and trust Christ. At which point, Haim and his entire family were bludgeoned to death with farming implements and fell into the grave they had dug. Question. I want to ask you a question as they 
as a family died alone in the hands of vicious murderers. Is that victory? Is that the victorious life? Was Haim and his family, were they, were they more than conquerors that day as the teenage Khmer Rouge soldiers took hose and beat them over their heads until they dropped dead in their own grave? The Apostle Paul thinks so. I have a friend, a pastor friend, who led a devotion at a school that's known for their wonderful football team, championship place. You know, they just, lots of championships. And and my friend went in and led the chapel service on Luke 9.23, where Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And called the students to a humble obedience to Christ. And afterwards, um, the football coach got up and said, we still got to (laughs) win. And that could be a tough thing to work through is, you know, thinking about being yielded to Christ somehow that puts you in a category where you're not to try hard. I think of Eric Little who, you know, famously the supposed quote is, I feel the Lord's pleasure when I run. And we should give our best in this world to whatever we're, we're involved in. But ultimately, our life belongs to Jesus Christ. Amen. And we're to be yielded to Him, which is worth more than any earthly victory we could ever have. In contrast to the movers and shakers of this world, followers of Jesus Christ appear to be so insignificant like a helpless flock of sheep. But we're in fact more than conquerors because we've been made victors through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. Because we believe in Him, we're united with Him, our union is in Christ, and our place is seated in the heavenlies. I'd like to kind of put my thoughts before you this morning in four ways. You can see it in the insert. The first would be a question, sheep that conquer? <laughs> yeah, lions and wolves, they conquer. Polar bears, they conquer. Uh, but nobody really showcases a lamb or sheep as something that's going to pull off a victory. You'll never hear a truck called a Dodge Lamb. <laughs> but that's how Jesus came. It's interesting, the images of Christ in the Bible. He's a lion. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. But he came as a lamb. Gentle, humble, sinless. He was known to put a child upon his lap. He rode a lowly donkey instead of a chariot. He ate with society's outcasts instead of heads of state. And there's some beautiful qualities about a lamb a life of dependence. No one looks at a lamb and thinks they can make it on their own. A a life of approachability. No one is afraid to approach a lamb. Um, A life of innocence, even though they're stubborn. A life of sacrifice. Lamb was prominent throughout Scripture. A promised lamb Christ would be. In fact, in Isaiah 53, 
we read that he was pierced for our transgressions, that he was crushed for our iniquities. The Lamb of God dying for sheep, because all we like sheep have gone astray, haven't we? We're always getting caught up into something that's devastating, but he came that we might be delivered and forgiven once and for all. So all I would say is, as you think about who Jesus was, as you think about his life, his death, his resurrection, be, be careful how you define winning. And may you find your victory and your identity in him, not anything the world would say. Every trophy that we win in this world becomes obsolete very fast. You know, I, I, I remember this every time I say that. I remember back in the 90s when the Saints won the NFC championship. It was in the early 90s, 91 I believe. The only reason I remember that is because this little bumper sticker said, Saints, NFC champs, uh, 1991. And I thought, well, good night, it's 2003. <laughs> Who remembers that? And with a cycle of bowl games and championships, unless you're just into that, you know, as a hobby or a passion... You're not going to remember yesterday's victories for very long. Oh, you might get around with some friends and you can reminisce on days of old. But those are fleeting memories. We need our identity in Jesus Christ. We're more than conquerors through Him. And as the devastating blows of this world come, we know the best is yet to come. Through Him who loved us. James Boyce said, Jesus was the true sheep fit only to be slaughtered. He was the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world, Revelation 13.8. But he was also a super conqueror. We are more than conquerors through him as he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God and who's coming back again. Jesus taught this paradox, sheep that conquer, in the Beatitudes, which is in Matthew 5, Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount, and the Beatitudes begin that sermon, and it's a, just a series of paradoxes, but throughout his teaching, the last is first, giving is receiving, dying is living, losing is finding, least is greatest, poor is rich, weakness is strength, serving is ruling. But he said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall really be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the kind of people I pray that we would be, that they would see Christ in us. One of our brothers at the men's retreat yesterday shared his testimony, and he reflected back in the early years that he had done something wrong to another, and 
in the conversation, he acknowledged that, and the person he had wronged was a believer, and with tears in his eyes said to him, I forgive you. You've never seen forgiveness like that. We're to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. Sheep that conquer, yeah, that's how the, that's how the world's conquered. And I even, even now feel the resistance of it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not into being a doormat. I think there's wisdom with regard to lob, lobbing softballs to our enemies. But nevertheless, we're called to, to love them. There's another scene in Revelation 12 I want to bring to your attention. Verses 11 and 12. Revelation 12, 11 and 12. And here, speaking of believers, it says... And they have conquered him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives and even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you will dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. How do we conquer? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Notice with me secondly, in trying to pinpoint what it means to be more than conquerors through Christ, super conquerors through him. I think it applies in several ways. This would be the second point. More than conquerors over spiritual darkness. We live in a world of spiritual darkness. We know that part of being a believer is to be brought out of this domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son, which which is not something that happens at conversion. We live in a now-not-yet tension of the New Testament. That since the coming of Christ, the kingdom of God has come to us. How do I enter that kingdom? It's not where we can apply for a citizenship. It's some depot uh, or embassy of a country. That kingdom is entered by faith in the king. And that we enter the kingdom of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And one day that kingdom will be made sight. And so for now we live in a domain of darkness and we're more than conquerors because of our battle with an enemy that is more than human. Ephesians 6 speaks about the wrestling. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, which is another hard concept to grasp. But nevertheless, it's true. And we need armor, spiritual armor. And every believer has been given the armor of God. In Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, Paul outlines that armor that must be appropriated, that must be put on. How often? Moment by moment through every day, as it describes the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the shield that quenches the fiery darts of the evil one, that shield of faith. We need the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We need that helmet of salvation. Our enemies are supernatural and our victories are supernatural too. One commentator said point blankly, Satan is very dangerous. He's crafty. His strategies are beyond your abilities. He appears as a light, but he's a liar and a murderer. So how can we stand against such a hateful and powerful enemy? Through the work and the power of our Savior who lives within us through the Holy Spirit of God. And for us to remember, he has no equal. 
He's never been overpowered. He has no limitations. He's omnipotent. And he has pledged to be with us no matter what we face. And when the tears come and the hearts are broken and we have opportunity to bring glory and point others to him in our sorrows and in our griefs, what a time it is to shine for him and his grace is greater still. I think of his power that through Moses part of the Red Sea. I think of David who skipped through the valley of Elah, grabbed five smooth stones and dropped a giant as a testimony of God's power. And with every spiritual battle, with the spiritual darkness that we face, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. If we would seek his power even today. Thirdly, more than conquerors in this temporal war zone akin to what I just said, but we're more than conquerors through this temporal, this temporary war zone. This world is passing away, and our our battles and our victories are eternal. Listen to James Boyce here. The spiritual victories achieved by God's people are eternal. This is a very important point and one we need to remind ourselves constantly. We are creatures of time, and we live in a perishing world. Apart from spiritual battles and spiritual victories, everything we accomplish will pass away. No matter how great an earthly victory may seem in the world's eyes or our own, how can it be otherwise when even heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said. Great monuments will crumble, works of art will decay, fortunes will dissipate. Heroes will die, even great triumphs of human intellect or emotion will be forgotten. Not so with spiritual victories. For our spiritual victories impart meaning to the very history of the universe. Boyce goes on to say, I'm convinced that this is what our earthly struggles are about and that this is how we are to view them. When Satan rebelled against God, sometime in eternity past, God was faced with a choice, humanly speaking. He could have annihilated Satan and those fallen angels. He could have... um, Uh, those who rebelled against him, but uh, would not have proved that God's way of running the universe is right. It would only have proved that God is more powerful than Satan. So instead of punishing Satan immediately, God allowed Satan's rebellion to run its course. In the meantime, God created a universe and a new race of beings, mankind, humanity, in which the rebellion of Satan would be tested. Satan could have his way for a while. He could try to order things according to his will rather than God's. He would even be allowed to seduce the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, into following him into rebellion. But God would reserve the right to call out a new people to himself. The very people Paul has been writing about in Romans 8. These individuals would be foreknown, predestined, called, justified, and glorified, all according to God's sovereign will. And when they were called, they would be thrust into the spiritual struggle that Satan and his demons had brought upon the race. So as we think about being more than conquerors, we're more than conquerors in this temporary war zone. 
to serve the Lord with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, and that our rewards are eternal. They're eternal rewards. We're commanded in 1 Corinthians to run the race in such a way that we might get the prize. When you read of the Christian life in the New Testament, there's an intensity to it. I need to be serious about it. And Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 25, they do it to get a crown that will not last. Those who are involved in um, earthly um, uh, games, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And all of this is for the glory of God. A crown that lasts forever? What will we do with those crowns, those rewards? There's a, a beautiful insight into this, I think, in the book of Revelation. It really points to the glory of God. In Revelation 4, there's a picture of the 24 elders, which I believe is a picture of the redeemed of God. They fall before God and worship Him. And then there's a point in that picture in Revelation 4.10, they lay their crowns before the throne, saying, (laughs) worthy art thou, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you did create all things. So this picture is beautiful, for it shows that the crowns of victory won by God's people are won by God's grace and therefore placed at their rightful feet. The feet of the Lord in His throne. In this, we are more than conquerors. And then finally, through Him who loved us. There's a scene in John 3 where Jesus enters the upper room and he's, they're getting ready for the last Passover or the last supper and um, he, um, he washes their feet. And John begins that chapter by saying he loved his own. He loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. One was a traitor. They would all flee save John. He loved them to the end. One of the beautiful words in the New Testament to describe the believer is beloved. You're loved by God. I went up to Mississippi recently and preached a funeral of a a dear brother who was the chairman of the pastor search committee that called us to Thompson Baptist Church. I served there two years almost to the day before coming here. And uh, just was reflecting um, and visiting with uh, people that I knew over 30 years ago. And to see them serving the Lord was wonderful. But we were reflecting on one, one um, uh, elderly brother who, who passed away. He was actually the father of the three adult children I was talking to. And I said, I remember when your dad used to pray, dear Lord, Cup us in the hollow of your hand. Cup us in the hollow of your hand. And that has just stayed with me all these years, to think of the protection and the covering. And you're saying, well, that means that I'll I'll be unscathed through this life, right? No, that's Paul Paul is specific to say, you know, regardless of what would come, death, persecution, suffering, we're in the hollow of his hand. 
And what that really does is it reframes the Christian life for us. That ultimately it's not about here. We're so wired, aren't we, to think about now with little thought for eternity. But that's what we're designed for. That's our destiny. Uh, Don't worry about being too heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I've never met such a soul. My fear is that we're not heavenly minded enough. And we live on the horizontal and we forget who we are in Jesus Christ. And we allow this world to tell us who we are and where our identity is based upon our status or our income or our education, all of which God cares nothing about. What really matters is, am I in Christ? Am I in Christ? And if you are, I'll just remind you of last week's message. Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you flawless and blameless before his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and authority and majesty and dominion forever and ever. Amen. More than conquerors, through all believers, church, take this in. May it thrill your heart today. This past week was the anniversary of the death of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He died on January 31st, 1892. Here were the last words after a 40-year ministry in London. Those who have no master are slaves to themselves. Depend upon it. You will either serve Satan or Christ, either self or the Savior. You will find sin, self, Satan, and the world to be hard masters. But if you wear the livery, (laughs) the British word for the special distinct uniform, if you wear the livery of Christ... You will find him so meek and lowly of heart that you will find rest unto your souls. He is the most magnanimous of captains. There never was his like among the choices of princes. He is always to be found in the thickest part of the battle. When the wind blows cold, he always takes the bleak side of the hill. The heaviest end of the cross lies ever on his shoulders. If he bids us carry a burden, he carries it also. If there is anything that is gracious, generous, kind, and tender, yea, lavish and superabundant in love, you always find it in him. These 40 years and more have I served him. Blessed be his name. And I have had nothing but love from him. I would be glad to continue yet another 40 years in the same dear service here below. If so, it pleased him. His service is life and peace and joy Oh, that you would enter on it at once. God help you to enlist under the banner of Jesus even this day. Amen. Would you bow with me in prayer? Maybe that's you this morning and your need to come under the banner of Jesus Christ. You've heard the gospel that he died on the cross as a payment for sin, that he rose again from the dead. He's a living Savior And God's word to you today and to this world today is to turn from your sins and believe on him as your only savior. He paid it all, all to him we owe. Would you call unto him in the closing moments of this service, would this gospel seed be planted in your heart 
And may you find no rest until you rest in him. Maybe um, in talking to the church family this morning from this text in Romans, you've been letting other people and the opinions of others define who you are in this world. And the purpose of this message was to redirect your gaze to the truth of who you are in Jesus Christ. And maybe this, this challenge this morning is leading you to break some friendships, maybe to come under some accountability with where you go and what you look at. Maybe believer this morning is a call for us to repent of loving other things other than Christ alone. Seeking our glory in this world instead of his glory through our life. Dear Lord, I pray in these closing moments that it would be a time of yieldedness to you, of obedience, the obedience of faith. I pray you would have your way with us as a church so that when we depart in just a moment, we would leave here with a great sense of confidence that God is for us, who in the world can be against us, and that we would be free and liberated to serve and give and to represent you rightly. Oh, Lord, may it be so. Show your power from this gathering this morning. May it bear eternal fruit through the lives of your people in this body. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.